Leading the Charge, Opportunity in Transition, a podcast series produced by Content with Purpose in partnership with the ECA. Welcome to the first of six episodes of Leading the Charge, an ECA and Content with Purpose podcast series that delves into how our journey to net zero is transforming the electrotechnical sector. I'm your host, Rob Smith. Now, they say that opportunity doesn't knock twice, and in the case of the green transition and electrotechnical sector, nor does it need to, because for starters, it won't have to knock, it'll more likely be an alert on your phone or from your EV because your car and your phone are connected to your Wi-Fi that's linked via Bluetooth to an ultra-low power wall-mounted device on the front door that is capable of beaming a crystal clear image of Opportunity's face right at you in real time. And of course, your home will be heated by an air source heat pump, have a full solar array on the roof and have vehicle-to-grid charging capabilities. And if switching some 30 million buildings and 40 million vehicles to electricity and away from fossil fuels isn't an opportunity, then I don't know what is. And that's exactly the future that is facing the electrotechnical industry and the focus of today's discussion. How does the electrotechnical profession best capitalise on the business opportunity presented by the further electrification of the UK? Well, I'm joined by two chaps who should be able to really help us out. Steve Bratt, who's the CEO of the ECA, and Mike Pitts, who's the Deputy Challenge Director of Transforming Construction at Innovate UK. Mike, perhaps if I could come to you first. Dr. Mike Pitts, I should say. Um, Briefly tell us who you are and what Innovate UK actually does. Innovate UK is the UK government innovation agency, essentially. We're there to help businesses innovate faster by taking away the barriers to doing so. That might be finding the right collaborators, understanding future markets, scaling technologies through and accessing the finance to do so. So um, we're we're mostly known for, for giving our grants, but that's not really everything we do. We really are helping trying to shape the future economies for the UK. And, and how's that going? And is it starting to change? It's, I mean, we've had huge change in the last few years, actually. And in one of the programmes, so for the last five years, I've been running a £170 million programme called Transforming Construction. And that was to accelerate a change that was already happening in the construction sector to adopt digital manufacturing and net zero approaches faster. Um, it, essentially, we were industrialising um, and taking on uh, the lessons from the kind of process industries into that sector. And that, that's happened at a real heavy speed, mostly because the sector itself committed strongly to it, but also worked very closely with government who are changing the way they procure buildings. We're now moving on to my to another. <laughs> I'm now starting up the, uh, the kind of net zero heat challenge um, within Innovate UK as we start to tackle that issue around how we get off gas uh, in, in 30 million buildings, as you say, in the next 15 years. Of heating space and water, um, which is possibly a bigger and more difficult challenge. Okay, well, we're definitely going to come on to that during the course of our conversation. Uh, let's bring uh, Steve into it. Steve Bratt, you're the CEO of the ECA. So, very briefly, what does the ECA actually do? Uh, well, it's actually a group of companies that their collective aim is to help the electrotechnical industry to develop positively and for the contractors and particularly the members of the association to prosper within it. So fundamentally that's it. There are around 2,700 businesses that are members of the association. They range from SMEs through to large national contractors, collective turnover in excess of 4 billion. I guess the key message from this is if we are going to electrify 
then this group is critical to achieving that. And um, and this is a big area for them too. Well, it really is. And four billion pounds is a massive chunk of the uh, the UK economy as it is. And it's going to get bigger, isn't it? I mean, it's a huge opportunity for everybody in the electrotechnical se- sector over the course of the next 30 years. Oh, yeah, absolutely massive. I mean, when you look at, uh, obviously, new build uh, gets a lot of focus, but we've got all of these buildings we're talking about. They're still going to be here in uh, 2050. So um, we've got to start working on them. 80% of them are already here. So, you know, we haven't even started on this retrofit challenge yet. We've only been talking about new build primarily. So there's a lot of work to do. Leading the charge. Opportunity in transition. This episode is sponsored by National Grid. National Grid play a vital role in connecting millions of people to the energy they use. Learn more about how they are leading the charge towards a sustainable future on our digital series website, leadingthecharge.eca.co.uk. Leading the charge, opportunity in transition. Right, so let's get into the meat and drink of this. And we'll start off with looking at buildings and the fact that the new building regs are uh, have come into place already this year. It should be seeing a surge in demand for non-gas heating systems in the very near future. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, we should be moving off it right now. The fact that we're still building any kind of building that is not net zero is an absolute scandal. I mean, we, we have the technology and the capability to do it right now. And some of the work that we've supported in the challenge, uh, in the Transforming Construction Challenge, shows that you can build net zero buildings for the same cost as existing, you know, the, the kind of way we would do them nowadays. Um, because you're avoiding costs. So the extra capital uplift, which is relatively small, you know, it's, it's, in, the, it's in the kind of around the 5% range is often offset by the fact you then don't have to, um, you know, connect up to the gas network. You don't have to upgrade the local grid because if these buildings are built properly uh, and they're active buildings, which we'll kind of going to probably come to as a, as, a, as a concept, then, then you know, they're not a huge drain on the grid. They're an active component within the grid. Um, and what that means is those avoided kind of prelim costs offset the capital costs. And we've seen this. Um, there's a, some great work the Active Building Centre, which we funded, did with the Flintshire County Council, not far from where I live. In Con- there's a place in Connors Quay where they're going to build some new council houses. They took the original design and they reckon they can build them to net zero for less than the cost of the original design because of this very issue. That's where we're at with new build. But as Steve says, the retrofit challenge is enormous. Okay, so we'll come on to the retrofit in the beginning, but let's stick with the new build for the moment. Why then, both of you, is there a kind of a a lag at the moment? My my brother-in-law, for instance, is about to move into a new build house. They weren't offered the opportunity of having a non-gas-fired central heating system built in. Um, And this is, you know, they're moving in next month. It's not happening yet. So why not? I think some of that's awareness and understanding. So we have this, you know, the issue that a lot of um, house builders say, well, we're not being asked for it, so we're not offering it. Um, and that's really it's kind of a real sad situation that people don't understand um, how much better, you know, the quality of life can be with, um, you know, a decarbonized heating system. Generally, better insulated homes are quieter homes. Uh, they're more comfortable homes. They don't lose their heat as quickly, and they, you know, they they tend to be cooler in the summer as well, which is becoming an increasing issue. 
Um, but also, you know, I had some air sensors, air quality sensors in my home recently as part of a trial. Um, and we found that the air quality is awful when anything gas gets turned on in the, in the house, whether that's a hob or, or a gas boiler. So I think people don't understand just the, the, the you know, the totality of this issue. And I think there's this worry around extra cost, but we're seeing already right now with the, the rising gas cost, this, this is starting to tip as a, as a kind of balance. Your brother-in-law, he's going to have to, at some point, very soon, expensively retrofit the house at a greater cost than it would have been to do it from the start. So that's why it's a scandal. So, Steve, this is crucial, isn't it, that people understand this, the fact that the changes are going to be happening and that the, there's a massive opportunity for people who are on the, in the business end of it to actually get on board with this now. So they need to start. Yeah, they do. Uh, just going very quickly back to your question about why it hasn't happened. I mean, construction is not known for being a, an early adopter uh, in terms of um, new technologies. We've often have to be driven there by changes in legislation. So the building regs now are important, as you said early on, because they will now start to drive, hopefully, the uptake of uh, electrical vehicle charging in the case of Part S or PV in the case of Part L and so on and so forth. But the, at the business end of it, um, we we need a big upscaling in capacity and capability, but businesses need confidence to do that. You've got to remember that in this sector, the bulk of businesses that will do this work are SMEs. And we're asking them to innovate. We're asking them to invest in skills. We're asking them to take risks. They're sometimes in quite challenging commercial arrangements, and they've got to be confident that this investment is going to pay back, and in the long term. And we have a little bit of a history. I say we. I guess I'm pointing my finger at government in some senses with the, the some of the schemes that they've run, which have been short-termist or you know problematic in many ways, and although great in principle, haven't delivered in practice. Um, so businesses need to be given that confidence. And I think things like changes to the building regulations are important. But there are plenty of other drivers that people can see now. I mean, the, the whole CSR drive, energy prices, energy, energy security. There's enough happening around us, I think, for businesses to start to say, look, I can see this thing is for real. And we might get a few stops and starts and we might get a bit frustrated with government policy. But actually, there's enough drive in this now. Let's focus on what we need to do to make it work well. Okay. So the building regs, again, are very important. OK, so let's talk about the, the, the gas price situation, the fact that there's this huge spike in gas prices because of the war in Ukraine. Do you see that as actually being helpful for switching over to uh, a renewable, sustainable electricity supply? Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to say that gas prices being what they are are helpful. Otherwise, I'm going to have people banging on my door or throwing things at me. But I, I sort of understand the point you're making. I mean, to, to put this into context, I read a report recently and it suggested that two thirds of the population of the UK will be fuel poor at the beginning of 2023. I mean, that's shocking. Nobody ever thought we'd get there. Um, that's what more than 10% of their net income on, on energy costs. Um, but in terms of sort of your point, is it driving people to think more seriously about the energy they use? Yes, it is, which fundamentally is a good thing. It's possibly not a good thing how we're getting there because obviously it will cause hardship. But at the, at the end of the day, people reducing their energy consumption and therefore their um, uh, carbon output is a good thing. Um, and, you know, we, we need to take advantage of, of that now. Mike, let's bring you in. So what it does, I think what it does show 
um, is just how important energy security is. So the drive to decarbonize, you know, if, if the if the argument about um, you know climate breakdown isn't enough, um, then the long term issue around cost should be. But there's a third layer now about energy security. It's patriotic to get a heat pump. You know, it's patriotic to decouple yourself from, um, you know, from from uh, gas that gas prices that are essentially set by Russian actions. Uh, and what we're seeing now is, I, I, you know, I do think long term we will see higher gas prices. We've we've gone through a period of having them, you know, incredibly cheap compared to the damage they do. Um, and we're going to have to get used to that. And one of the things that the Climate Change Committee have shown in their calculations is a lot, a lot to talk about the cost of shifting to net zero. But if you look at their calculations, if these gas prices long term stay roughly where they are, um, it would save the UK half a percent GDP shifting to net zero. So, it's, I mean, we're really talking about reaching a tipping point here, aren't we, where the costs of putting in uh, new kits, innovative new stuff is actually going to be less than the costs of carrying on with the old ways. We, we also miss a lot of the other co- hidden costs. So I talked earlier about indoor air quality and the, and the effect it also has on external air quality with fossil fuel burning. Um, it, it's a huge cost to the NHS. You know, poor quality homes, poor quality insulation, uh, the effects of, and we're going to see a lot of it this winter. You know, fewer poor people. It's it's the the, the effect it has on them is, is hugely catastrophic. It affects the, the cost then to society of dealing with um, the issues of, of, of ill health because of it a big, but also it does things like affect um, people's mental health. It affects the ability of children to do well at school. It, it'll have a real lingering effect through. Um, the whole of our society, and it's it's too easily forgotten. And I think it's worth reminding the people at the forefront of this. You know, you're helping make society better by delivering these solutions. Electro technical centre uh, sector are superheroes. We've we've they established that. There we go. They can be the absolute hero. They solve so many of the societal problems. Okay, but way. but Steve, your members obviously have got to actually make this transition for all of us. If they wait for the legislation to all come through, there's a real danger they're going to miss the boat, isn't there? Uh, yeah, well, some legislation is already coming through, which is helpful. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Uh, what we need is more early adoption. So we're we're already seeing clients expressing more interest for the reasons we've already said, including energy security, which is featuring prominently. Um, and we're seeing a number of contractors step up and, and invest in developing their skills, you know, increasing the numbers of people they employ, just becoming more innovative and more aware of, of what technologies are out there. Uh, but we are going to need more of them because some of these numbers are huge. Uh, I mean, if you take the electrical vehicle charging uh, side of things, and I think the Society of Motor Man- Manufacturers and Traders are suggesting that circa a fifth of all sales presently are electrical vehicles, that's only going to go up. It's already exponentially growing, going up. And then we've got 2030 looming when, you know, the, the combustion engine effectively you can't sell anymore. So we're nowhere near having an infrastructure for that. So that alone is, uh, you know, you can see the scale. Then you look at the, the heat pump, 600,000 per year by, was it 2028? You know, the numbers are massive. Um, we already have uh, challenges around skills. And so we do need the contractors to to see 
the uh, attraction of this sector and invest. And as a very brief, just to give us a kind of an overview, that skills gap is a very real one, isn't it? We're talking that there's a lack of thousands of electricians coming into the system at the moment. Yes, there is. There's a th- uh, lack of thousands. And it's not just those coming in. It's the ones that are in needing to upskill. So there's two elements to this. I mean, our, our position on this is that this is work for electricians. Um, and what I mean by that, that sounds a, a, a simply obvious statement to make. But th- we, we're talking about existingly qualified electricians upskilling to understand these new technologies. And we're talking about new people coming in, becoming properly qualified electricians with these skills. What we must avoid is a temptation to shortcut this process. I mean, so we think, oh, well, if somebody can install a, a smart meter. Let's stick them on a two week course and then they can go off and do this, that and the other. One of the things we need to drive, a message we drive forward on this is this work has to be done safely and to the right quality. We've seen a lot of new initiatives be discredited on both of those grounds. They don't deliver what they're supposed to for the consumer and, of course, they cause safety issues. Skills is a really, really important point. It needs to be the right skills and we need to start investing now. It takes four years to train an electrician. So we're, we're really way behind the curve already. And, and uh, Dr. Pitts, you know, as Innovate UK, you're looking at all sorts of new stuff that's coming on. I mean, how complex is it for a qualified electrician to be able to make the changes over? Is it something they should be intimidated by or excited about? Well, I hope they're being excited. And I, I think part of the, the, the messaging here has to be, um, you know, for to attract in new talent and retain current talent is to talk about just how, you know, how you will be solving all these big issues. And, in, and you know, in, we, we've got to think a lot more carefully about um, the combination of technologies at a building level. So I mentioned earlier the concept of active buildings is the idea that you become an active component in, a, in an energy network rather than just a kind of heavy load on it. And if you just keep adding all these different things on, yeah, you will add sort of overall load. But when you integrate things properly, um, that's when you start to really make um, a difference at a household level, both for the the national network and the user. And this is where you know electricians really have to take a kind of a, a kind of lead role in in, uh, in pulling everything together and saying it's the right combination of technology. So your PV drives your you know your um, uh, your heat pump. Um, and you know, you've got battery storage, possibly heat storage that combines with the heat pump to make that more efficient. You have a two-way connector for your, your electric vehicle. So sometimes your electric vehicle acts as a battery for the home. Uh, and this way, you can start to become more energy independent as a home and not propose a, a large load onto the grid. And, and in terms then of the skills that are needed for electricians who are currently working in, in the system, what new skills do they actually need to be taking on? to make that happen? Because we're talking about being involved in the design process there, not just fitting stuff in houses. Yeah, I mean, contracted, electrical contracting businesses need to be able to do that design. And make, uh, Mike makes some very important points there about the integration of these technologies. I mean, when this is part of um, the, the grid effectively through being an active building, and we have what we refer to as uh, prosumers. So this is people that are not just consuming electricity, but are producing and, and returning to the grid. This thing needs to be joined up. So uh, electricians will have all of the skills they need to do everything that you know is broadly there at the moment. What 
they will have the uh, underpinning knowledge to understand these new technologies. They'll need to understand them a little bit more. But the key point is they'll then need to understand how they are integrated. And I think that actually is where the opportunity lies for many businesses, because it'll be hopefully higher margin work because it's, it's, you know, it's delivering more complex solutions. It will take them closer to end users, energy users, clients and others, rather than being down a supply chain where they sometimes are. So there's lots of opportunities here and it isn't a massive leap for them. This is upskilling, um, you know, using knowledge they'll have a full grasp of, but they'll just need to put it in a modern context. So it's nothing to be frightened of. It's a, it's a big opportunity. And in fact, I would say that electricians, existing businesses are in a very, they're very well placed now because with that investment done in the right way, they can get well ahead of this curve and put themselves in a good position as this rolls out. Okay, and that's a really good point, I think, to bring in the conversation around retrofitting all sorts of systems to existing buildings. Because we talked about the fact there's there's 30-odd million buildings in the UK to be decarbonised as we're going forward. That's a colossal market to get into. Um, how are we going to actually start doing that? Because we haven't managed to get the new buildings doing it yet. What, what are the key things we need to think about in those areas? Well, it's, yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a gigantic challenge. And, um, you know, for some buildings, it's insulation first. But all 30 million are going to have to, you know, be um, going gonna to be seen by electrical contractors because they are all going to have to change in some way in terms of the way they, they handle their kind of power uh, and heat. So that's... Um, the, but the... Uh, I think one, one point I do want to make around active buildings and... and and the kind of shift we have towards retrofit is that we may see the emergent of emergence of some kind of new different business models, certainly ones around where heat is provided as a service. So it could be that some of the installing businesses, and they may be the energy companies, they're starting to look this way. So we'll come and install this kind of set of kit for you that provides um, you know, a constant heat, a certain amount of electrons per day. If you go over it, you pay you pay extra, but generally, you know, you, you can come in and pay that. And our ability to deliver that performance is is our margin. So you, you'll uh, you'll start to see with some of these retrofits that you get these kind of pods on the outside of the home where the controls and the maintenance are, are accessible for um, for the contractor, and then the home then gets the benefits uh, of this system. It's a bit like the way you, you know, you kind of work with leasing an electric vehicle now or possibly, you know, like your, your TV service. You know, you kind of, you lease the box um, and, and the content or phones. You know, a lot of a lot of the modern technology is delivered this way and we can see this kind of shift. Okay. So that, that's a big opportunity. That's maybe how we start to really, really scale this. And Steve, we're talking excitedly about the massive opportunities that are available for electricians to get involved in going into the future. But the reality is at the moment, of course, that fitting an air source heat pump system to an existing house is prohibitively expensive for most people. I think it's somewhere in the region of £27,000 because you're talking about ripping out the radiators, putting in all new plumbing and pipe work in order to make that work. That's very off-putting. So there will be a lot of people who are working as electricians now saying, well, it's just not worth us getting into yet because we haven't reached the point where it's feasible for the ordinary person to afford it. 
No, it's a very valid point. And uh, as we debate this with wider parts of the construction industry, I think people can see that to a large extent, there needs to be a fabric first approach. So when money's been spent, as Mike alluded to earlier, you know, you've got to make sure the actual building itself is suitable before you go putting in a, a low temperature air source heat pump. Obviously, you've got to consider what the heat losses of the building are. So, you know, the, the, all of that needs to be thought through. And we actually need, I believe, a national retrofit strategy. So uh, I'm, I'm a member of something called the Construction Leadership Council, and we've actually developed um, such a thing. And if we could adopt something like that, I think we can start to pull this together and then we can start to make a stronger case for people to, to invest. But people, people understand, you know, you, this work isn't just going to be here now, but there's plenty already here. And as people become more aware of the technology and the opportunities, I agree again with Mike. I think we'll see innovative business solutions, whether they're energy services contracts or others. And the electric electrical contractors will be able to discuss with their clients what they can do. When you integrate these systems, this is what will happen. I think the other thing that will change behaviors is as the grid, the smartness of the grid develops and and the way um, consumers of energy are charged when we see variability of tariffs and all sorts of things around demand we'll see a real change in behavior at that point and there's uh, some fantastic examples of technology being used by our members right now which is working with us so for instance it sits on the front of a commercial building it integrates all of the various systems through energy management it goes off it talks to weather forecasting sites and all sorts of things and it connects up with the grid and it basically manages that system. And you can flick a switch almost to say you want it to be focusing on carbon uh, reduction or you want it to be focusing on cost. And this is the kind of choice uh, clients will have. And it's already here. So there's lots of opportunities, but n not everything is going to come at once. And, and the issue of um, retrofitting uh, and fabric first is a big one. Mike, you were nodding away at various points there. <laughs> well, I should say heat pumps aren't quite that expensive. I mean, it does depend on the system you have. Um, if you've got microbore, you know, it, the, the idea is that they run constantly at a lower temperature. Uh, and you can see if your home's heat pump ready by running your boiler at a lower uh, circulation temperature, which you should do anyway because they run more efficiently. Uh, that's a tip for anyone out there. They're, it's probably not condensing if it's a condensing boiler if you're less your flow temperature is something like around 60 or possibly lower. And there's plenty of advice out there how to do that. There you go. There's 10% saving for you this winter. Right. So just down. literally turn your heating down a bit. <laughs> but you get your, to the flow temperature down. Mm -hmm. So rather than your, your radiator's coming on at 80 degrees and a huge heat gradient in the house, they're at a lower temperature all the time. And this is where the comfort side of it comes from. So you don't get these heat gradients in a, in a room. Um and that's why they tend to feel nicer when they're in, in play. But actually, the best ones work when it's done with underfloor heating from the beginning. So there's no radiators at all. There's no cold and hot spots. You've got more of your house. So it does depend on the house and where it's at for the retrofit side. In terms of the sort of the retrofitting going forward, are we going to see new technologies coming in, such as air source heat pumps that do run us to higher temperatures so you don't have to change all your radiators? You might want to, but that's went into a really old system that doesn't really make any sense. Why would you take a part of your room with, you know, a lumpy radiator and, you know, have these cold spots? If you've ever been in a passive house building, it's incredible. <laughs> you know, I, I once 
spent um, a few days in one on a windswept moor in Dundee, and you know, you, you're howling as you are outside. You close the door, and it's complete silence. You just lovely, comfortable room at the same temperature all the way through. You can walk right up to the window and not feel any cold. You don't get any of the noise from outside. These are nice, really, really pleasant places to be, and I think we've got to value. Um, and leap leap to much better buildings in the first place. But on the retrofit challenge, you know, this is where the net zero heat program we're putting together at Innovate UK is trying to address some of these exact issues Steve was talking about from a national perspective. So there's three things we're trying to bring forward. First of all, is the information people need to be able to make these switches. So what do I install when and how much might it cost, but how much might it save me over the course of owning that piece of equipment uh, or that particular particular change. You know, with insulation, it makes a lot of sense because that's a permanent. As an energy bill that's taken off permanently, it can be very expensive. So it's, it's understanding what to do in what order, but also at a national level. Because when we deliver some of this, you want to deliver lots of the same type of house at the same time. That's how you start to industrialize. But if you're delivering lots at the same time, the second part is how you finance that. So we're looking very hard and working with other uh, public institutions and private financers to say, how do we fund this? And last of all, to come to your back to your original point, is how do we bring down the cost both in capital and for installation of these kinds of pieces of kit? So how do you make them work in compat- you know, so they're compatible with other parts? So all different manufacturers are producing different things. How do we they work together? How can we bring them together to innovate together to make that uh, installation system work? So I guess that means you need to be having lots more conversations with people like Steve, doesn't it, really? Yeah, so I'd appeal to the members of ECA to say, list, you know, keep an eye out for our, our, our competitions as they, as they open up. How can you work to make that installation process work smoother for you? What are the problems you're facing in doing this? And we will help to, to tackle some of this. The cost of these can be brought down. I mean, Octopus Energy are very convinced that they can deliver heat pumps at half the current price now. now. And that's installed price. And they've invested heavily in a factory to do so. And so when you add in the um you know some of the government grants that are available provided they stay there it's a lot of political flux right now you'd end up getting an installation that's around the same price or possibly less than a gas boiler so steve i, I guess then that your members they they've got to become kind of champions of the new tech rather than waiting for customers to ask them for it they've got to start going out there and saying you need this stuff it's going to be better yeah, absolutely. I think our role as CCA is to, to work with organizations like, like Mike's and others to share this knowledge, get the contractors to understand and adopt it. And then, as you say, they're selling it to their own clients and consumers from there. And that work does go on. Um, and obviously, we'll be looking to do more and more of it. So we see more and more take up. OK, so as we sort of start to think about bringing the, um, the conversation to a, to a close now, I'm going to ask you both of you what the, the key takeaway is you want people to have from having listened to this. What's the, the main idea that you want people to, to go and, and spread around? So, Mike, if I come to you first, what's the key thing, the key message you want people to take on board? Well, to get net zero buildings, we have to integrate different car, you know, decarbonising technologies at a building level. And it the ECA members are the kind of people who are going to do that. So <laughs> let's uh, see. But one last point on that, I think, is really, really important is we have to make sure that integration works in a way that that works for every type of user. 
you know, whether they are old, whether they are infirm, they have to be able to use that system, you know, and putting in complex, um, you know, in, you know, interfaces is not the answer. So there's a challenge on the integration side. And that, if anything, it's one of the big opportunities for the sector is to how to make it really easy for the user. And Steve, what for you is the the key takeaway you want your members to have? I want them to recognise that this is a genuinely a big opportunity, whether it's electrification of transport or buildings or how it integrates with the grid. This is a massive opportunity for them. Um, they shouldn't be afraid of it, as we discussed earlier. It should be seen as an opportunity and they should come to us. We provide a raft of information, guides, webinars, all sorts of various events to help them understand and work their way through this. So see this as a real opportunity to be embraced now and engage with us to make the most of it. So the, the, the Green Pivot Guide, that's one of the key ones, isn't it? It is indeed. I believe we're distributing that as part of this program of, um, well, the whole program of leading the charge. But it's available on the website for all members now, and we provide additional support and guidance um, on top of that. So, but yes, it is worth, it's probably a good place to start. Okay, just give us a reminder of the uh, the web address then. Uh, ECA.co.uk for the members, nice and easy, and they'll find the Green Pivot document on there. Massively useful for, for all of this. And uh, part of the conversation that perhaps we haven't gone into so much has, has been looking at the EV charging points and the basic infrastructure behind all of this. Are you confident, perhaps as a final thought, that government is thinking far enough ahead and in a joined up enough way to make sure that our actual power distribution system is going to be able to handle all of this change over the course of the next 20 odd years? Um, yes. <laughs> a slightly I mean, hesitant, big, yes. It's a big business opportunity. Well, it's not just government, you know, so the, you know, the, the, de- the network operators themselves um, recognize this opportunity in a, and there's a very large um, you know, program that we run on behalf of Ofgen um, to look at exactly how we upgrade these things. But yeah, we need everybody working together because, as I said, if you've got an active building, it makes the, the, whole, the whole system uh, more resilient and, and the challenge a bit less complicated. Steve? Uh, I'm confident that central government understand the issue here and are um, you know, trying to drive forward. I'm also uh, confident that the, uh, the the network operators, as Mike said, understand and are driving forward. My concern lies maybe in local government, where we're seeing very patchy performance, where money's been made available to do various things, but it hasn't been taken up or it's been used for other purposes. So I'd like to see um, you know, more recognition of this issue within local government and, and sort of more joining up of that initiative there. Mike? It's, well, it's worth remembering connecting a lot of EVs to the grid is part of how we cope with more renewables. So when they're running at night, they're charging your EV, which is what happens with mine. Uh, and I get paid, you know, I have to pay a lot less money for doing so. So part of the, the evolution of the grid relies on these cars being connected. And, we, you know, we've got an example of a building that were, was built with our funding down in Swansea Bay, the active uh, classroom and the active office, two, two trial buildings there that generate more energy than they use. The active classroom's off-grid. Um, it's 
and it's uh, the surplus energy is dumped into EVs. You know, that's where they, they would put it. They've got a, they've got a leaf down there that's done thirty thousand miles and never touched the grid. That's pretty impressive. Uh, Absolutely, work. no, that's it's the great. Potential of where we can get to. Well. Uh- Mike Pitts, Dr. Mike Pitts, Deputy Challenge Director of Transforming Construction at Innovate UK and Steve Bratt, CEO of the ECA. It's been a fascinating, dare I say, an electrifying discussion that we've enjoyed over the last half hour or so. Um, I'm really looking forward to digging deeper into all of this over the course of the, uh, the rest of the series. We know our decarbonised future is largely going to be an electric one, and that means it's one absolutely chock full of opportunity for everyone within the Electrotechnical Centre. Thanks for being with us, both of you, and thank you for listening. Thanks once again to our episode sponsor, National Grid. You can read, watch, and learn more about their work and about the full Leading the Charge series by going to leadingthecharge.eca.co.uk or simply searching for Leading the Charge online. And don't forget to visit contentwithpurpose.co.uk or find us on social to check out more of our podcast collaborations.